I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, I talk about a super fun subject, death. No, I just found this out that in the original cut of the animated Little Mermaid movie, their wedding at the end was actually originally a Catholic wedding. Yeah, Poseidon officiated, so it was a Tridentine mass. And welcome to episode 55. Hopefully, you got that fun joke, but if not, don't worry because nobody's in studio to laugh, and so I won't know either. Um, But uh, please pray for Jenna, my co host. She is not. Uh, on the podcast today and will not be for a few episodes or so because she's about to give birth. And so continue to pray for her and for her family, um, that everything goes well, that everyone is healthy, and that that all um, happens just in the way that the the Lord intends. And so, um, yeah, pray for them. And um, yeah, but for the rest of us, we'll be here. Um, Welcome again to episode 55. Um, my peak this week, um, I actually was out with, uh, Tony, Jenna's husband last night. Um, and we both, uh, don't like Halloween. Uh, last night was Halloween when I'm recording this. And so, um, we kind of just hung out and, um, caught up and it was just really nice, um, to have some good male brotherhood community. I don't have a lot of that. So I really appreciated that. So shout out to you, Tony. And if I think we've mentioned it before, but if you don't know Tony's podcast, Space But Messier, um, space, but M E S S I E R. And if you're into space, you know why that's hilarious. Um, but it's all about learning about space, um, from just a practical, like uneducated point of view and just learning some cool things about it. So, um, go check that out. My pit this week was that I had jury duty and I actually like going to jury duty and having the ability to uh, potentially be on a trial and, you know, fulfill my civic duty in that sense. But um, the judge in the courtroom that I had just loved to listen to himself talk and the process that has gone so much faster in years past um, ended up going into a second day and having to come back for jury selection all because he was just talking and talking, talking, talking. And it was just it was pretty painful. So um, I did not get selected. Um, spoiler alert. So um, but please pray for those souls who were told that they were going to have a three or four day trial and I suspect it will be longer but but the judge actually doesn't do that much in the middle of a trial so um, it's all up to the jury and the the lawyers at that point so but pray for them nonetheless and then my plug is um, a podcast I recently came across called every knee shall bow and it's all about evangelization uh, in a Catholic context really really good podcast and just a lot of good stuff in it um, in terms of things that we're trying to do in our diocese, at my parish, things that, um, you know, uh, have been on my heart for a long time, just articulated really well. It seems to be something the Holy Spirit's doing um, and that this this podcast is really uh, supporting that. So um, if you're interested in, you know, how to evangelize in your everyday life, in your home, in your workplace, and especially in churches, um, please go check out that podcast, Every Knee Shall Bow. It's great. Um, so what are we talking about today? So yesterday was Halloween today that I'm recording is all saints day. And tomorrow when this podcast will come out is all souls day. Um, and all of which surrounds this idea of death. 
and looking at death from a different perspective, you know, because Halloween was All Hallows Eve or the Eve of All Hallows, the Eve of All Saints and all of it, including its manifestation as the Day of the Dead and different celebrations in different cultures is all about honoring and remembering those that have died um, and and doing so in a way that um, brings intercessory power that glorifies God, that recognizes that they're at rest and that they can pray for us and that we can continue to remember what they've passed on to us, um, all from a very positive point of view. But part of the reason why I don't like Halloween is because it somewhat demonizes that. It makes death scary and like a, a an entertainment shock value thing to sell and to exchange for goods and you know, and then I don't eat sugar anymore because I, you know, it basically poisons your body. And uh, so I don't like it for that reason, too. So uh, but that's just a personal thing, not a Catholic thing. You're perfectly allowed to like Halloween um, as long as you do so prudently and um, not dishonoring uh, the church and whatever or your own dignity or modesty in whatever costume you choose to wear and what activities you choose to participate in. But nonetheless, um, that is the... Um, thing on the mind this week is death um, and what happens when we die um, and how to have a spirituality of death. And so um, there's this phrase in Christian spirituality or in Catholic in the Catholic world called memento mori. It's a Latin phrase uh, which commonly translates to remember death, um, literally translates to remember that you must die. Um, the, the mori uh, in that word that means death is the present active tense that like death is now and, and memento meaning like you must remember um, so having that sense of a knowledge of our mortality, of the temporary nature of everything in this life, uh, except for our relationship with the Lord, um, uh, unless we end up rejecting that and sending ourselves to hell, that's the only thing we'll carry with us into eternity. And so, um, recognizing that temporary nature and all the things that get in the way of us having that awareness every single day, that's kind of what I want to talk about, um, and I think something that gets in the way of this, this awareness of death is A, the kind of uh, fear surrounding death because we're so focused on ourselves and the things that we want to accomplish that death seems, you know, everyone at some point in their life feels invincible. I think when we're kids, we definitely feel that way. Some people never grow out of it. I definitely have um, a, a lingering sense that like, oh yeah, I'm fine, you know, like, um, that's not, that wouldn't happen to me the same way it would happen to other people. Like, you know, I, I don't know why I've, I've always had this, but I know it's not real. I know like death is just a possibility for me as for anybody else. Um, and I think that, um, beyond that sin also gets in the way of us having this focus on, on death because, um, it, it causes us to be so obsessed with fulfilling our desires right now. Um, Kind of this idea that all sin can be reduced to one thing, and that is the sin of self. Putting self first and not being willing to die to our desires or our um, inclinations and not being willing to sacrifice them or allow them to be achieved in a higher way, but really just going for instant gratification, sinful habits, sinful behaviors, um, so that we can do what we want, when we want, how we want. And I think that whole mentality really builds this fear of death because we haven't reconciled things. It builds a lack of awareness or sensitivity to death because we're so consumed in right now and what's going on in my life and, and not what's going on in anybody else's. And St. Augustine, um, I've said this before, he characterized um, you know charity as the word caritas, which is a sense of love that is always outside of ourselves, that we're constantly 
loving outwardly. But he contrasted that with another Latin word, meaning uh, which was cupiditas, which is almost like an inward-focused obsession. And that's really the battle that we have. We're always either spiraling inward or spiraling outward. And for the Christian, for the Catholic disciple, spiraling outward is our call. We're meant for other people. We're meant to die to ourselves, have the spirituality of self-death, self-denial, and a recognition of the temporary nature of this world and a desire to live for the eternal. And so dying to certain sinful desires or temptations is something that we have to be aware of. And when we have that awareness, it helps put things into perspective. It helps us uh, be aware of our own sin. It helps us know that we need a savior, that we can't save ourselves. Uh, that nothing in this world will save us. You know, a lot of people in today's culture have a messianic complex when it comes to something, whether it's their job, the money they make, the status they hold, the relationship that they'll have, the marriage they'll have. They put those things and equate them to the potential perfection that only Christ can fulfill. And when that thing turns out not to be perfect or turns out not to fulfill every desire they've ever had for happiness, then they feel like everything's falling apart. And so we need, we, when we have an awareness of our own death and the temporary nature of this life and the need not to be focused on ourselves, but on things greater than ourselves and other people, um, then we recognize our need for a savior. Um, we also recognize when we have this awareness of death that there is an awaiting reality of judgment. Like every day, if it was our last day, everything be becomes brought under scrutiny. Like we recognize what we're culpable for in, in that type of awareness. Uh, but it also helps us recognize the joy that awaits us in heaven. Um, that really the mantra of any saint, of anyone who's truly living as a disciple of the Lord, no matter how who we're leaving behind or how painful that reality would be, there is a sense for, for those living faithfully as disciples that um, I cannot wait for death because in death I meet my creator. I meet the one who loves me perfectly. Now, yeah, it doesn't mean that death is going to be perfect or that we actually go welcome it, you know, by doing dangerous things or inflicting harm upon ourselves. But um, there's a sense that like, yeah, when it's my time, it's my time. And when we really are walking that path faithfully and that awareness is really permeated into who we are, that becomes a reality, a need to live not for ourselves but to remember our death, to remember that we belong to one another, to remember that we belong to the Lord. Uh, and this is actually something that you can look at our bodies, look at the way we're designed um, genetically, biologically, to show that we're not meant to be consumed with self. We're meant to be looking outward and upward, looking eternally, um, because we're built for relationship with one another. We're, we're built for connection. We're built for relationship with God. We've talked about the transcendental desires, that every single human on earth shares these desires for perfect love, goodness, beauty, truth, and being. Um, but even if you look biologically, like mothers, when they have children, they retain cells from every single one of the children they've ever had, even the ones that were aborted or miscarried. They retain cells in their body for the rest of their life from those children. And future children catch those cells. So let's say if you're the firstborn in your family, your younger siblings have some of your cells from when you were in your mother's womb inside of their body. Isn't that crazy? Like that's just the reality of like familial cellular connection. Um, beyond that, apart from mutations, things that happen randomly, um, if you were the first one to say to develop that mutation, 
Um, but apart from that, we have no unique genes. All of your genetic code is inherited from your, both of your parents. All of it. You are, that's who you are. You're built relationally, genetically to other people. And beyond that, women, all women share what's called the Eve strain of DNA. You can find it in every single woman, on in every single culture, every single background, every single place on earth. They all share the same strain uh, in one of their chromosomes called the Eve strain. And men all share a common Adam Y strain in their Y chromosome, which some anthropological data can trace back to our two common ancestors about 70,000 years ago. That we were made for this relationship. And if we weren't, our bodies would be designed in such a way that however we reproduced, we would create completely new disconnected genetic material that bonded us in no way, shape, or form to anyone culturally, biologically, genetically whatsoever. And I'm sure if God wanted to design us that way and make us all hermits, he could have, but he didn't. Um, when two people engage in the act of sex, uh, oxytocin is released, which is a bonding hormone that chemically bonds those two people pheromonally to one another meaning our bodies are designed for lifelong connection with another person, a male-female relationship that's realized in a marriage and um, made evident in the bodily connection in sex. Uh, mothers also exhibit oxytocin when they have children. Their bodies are flooded with oxytocin to bond them to their babies. Um, we're not made for ourselves. We're made to have this awareness of the other, of God, of the temporal nature of our lives and not make lives all, our lives all about us. Um, and this even extends to friendships. I mean, all that is kind of genetic familial stuff, but even in our friendships, there's a study that showed that, um, friendships have, um, an impact on your biological health and, uh, your viability. Uh, they said those who have strong, meaningful friendships have longer lifespans and that, um, those who in the study who equated themselves with, or who reported having a meaningful lasting relationships, the biological effects on that in terms of their lifespan and their health was twice as effective as exercise. And it was the same equivalent in a boost in health as quitting smoking. People who have strong, meaningful friendships have healthier vitals overall, like in blood pressure, BMI, waist circumference, levels of inflammation. Um, those who uh, are diagnosed with dementia or at risk for dementia, um, the less lonely they feel, the stronger they are in their relationships, the less worse their dementia is. Um, those who um, have friends who have healthy habits, they're more likely to adopt those. You're more likely to overcome diseases such as cancer when you have strong, meaningful relationships because of the support group that comes with that. Um, you're more likely to be someone who copes with stress well if you report having strong social connections and meaningful relationships. And you have this wider sense of community regardless of your geographic location. Even if you are lifelong friends with someone but you haven't even been face-to-face -face for years, uh, that doesn't have a factor. You can still have this sense of health um, or this sense of community that positively affects your health uh, regardless of your geographic location. So why do I mention all of that? Because we're not built for ourselves. We're not built to be isolated. We're not built to turn inward. We're not built to ignore this reality that we are part of something bigger, that we belong to one another. We have a need to die to ourselves for others and to die to ourselves and our own desires, our own needs, our own plans, our own selfishness to live for others, to serve others, to proclaim the gospel to others so that we can all end up in the glory and reality of heaven in perfect love and union with God. Uh, and that's in the language of all of the sacraments. 
this sense of self-death. If you look at every one of the sacraments, this is what happens. In baptism, you're plunged into water and the symbolism there is that you are dying to yourself, actually drowning your sins away. Like that's what's a symbol of death and resurrection. And you rise anew in Christ. When you're confirmed, the Holy Spirit is conferred upon you in such a way that you are committing to die to your own mission and plans, but to receive that Holy Spirit and awaken within you the gifts, talents, charisms you need to fulfill whatever mission God has called you on. You're dying to your plans and living for the Lord's as a disciple. When you approach the altar to receive the Eucharist, to know that every single Mass is a wedding. And not just a wedding, but your wedding. And so when you approach that altar, you are committing vows of saying, I receive you with all the love that you want to give me, Lord. And I lay down my life for you in sickness and in health, in richer, for richer or for poorer, as long as we both shall live for all eternity. And that there's a sense of self-death, self-donation, that when we bring up the gifts of bread and wine, we are meant in the theology of the mass to imagine ourselves also being offered, our intentions, but our very lives being offered and then being transformed into something new, transubstantiated, our substance of who we are becoming enriched by the grace of God that we get through the sacrament of the Eucharist. Marriage, obviously, is exact same imagery as the Eucharist, that you are dying to your own selfish desires and saying, I'm willing to live for you, willing to sacrifice for you, willing to lay down my life for you. As it says in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and be willing to lay down your life for them as Jesus laid down his life for the church. Holy orders, the same imagery. Men who are willing to lay down their life, their natural biologically pointed vocation, um, to receive a higher vocation or calling directly from God, to lay down those desires, uh, biological desires for family, for marriage, for a higher calling to serve the church and to be married in a sense to the church. Anointing of the sick, laying down your uh, mortality and dying to yourself literally and recognizing I might die and I put that in the Lord's hands. I need help. I recognize I need a savior. Same imagery with reconciliation. We die to our own pride, our own reality or thought that we might be able to save ourselves or fix things ourselves, but recognize we need to be, we need to be reconciled and that we need a savior. We can't save ourselves from our sins. All of the sacraments involve us laying down our life, dying to our sin, so how do we do that on a daily basis? Like you can't receive every sacrament every day. You know, you can receive the Eucharist every day, but how does that permeate into how we walk through life? I've said this before, but I, I, it never hurts repeating. I think every single one of us should live our life with a deathbed mentality. And I know that sounds morbid. And if you're someone who fears death or like is one of those people that's very bubbly and positive about life, don't see this as in contradiction to it. Like, you probably have that sense because you're grateful for what you you have. You're there in the present moment. You recognize things for what they are, that everything is a gift, that everything's temporary, that everything is a blessing from God. And this is having the same mentality. But in a sense, recognizing like if today were your last, as the cliche goes, how would you live it? You know, what would be different? And so asking questions and orienting your life in such a way to answer the question, what is my passion or mission in life? And what do I need to do today to live that out faithfully? Everything else I'll do if I have time and it doesn't get in the way of that mission. And in fact, I won't do anything else unless it helps me fulfill that mission. That would be a really great way to live our lives. If we had the freedom and the willingness to say no to anything that doesn't fulfill the mission that God called us to, to be saints in whatever avenue of life that we're in. Now, I'm not saying everyone should quit their job and start becoming priests and nuns. Your mission in life might be to live as a faithful Catholic in your job. 
but your to-do list might look different because of that. Your to-do list on a given day of work might be to check in with your coworkers and see how they're doing and be encouraging and positive. It might be to collaborate more with some of your workers, your coworkers and call out gifts and talents they have that you don't and team up on things. It might be to um, spend less time obsessed with your to-do list and more time actually asking the question, what are we doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? And how are we going to know if we're successful? And how do we do this as a team? What's the goal? What's the vision? Instead of call this person, check that off the list, email this person, check that off the list, and kind of mundanely going through the tasks of life uh, or of your job. <clears throat> so even though you might be in the phys same physical place doing in general the same physical job, your life is going to look different when you have this mentality. Uh, prioritize. Recognizing what is your priority. Your priority, you can only have one priority. One thing can be prior. You cannot have multiple priorities. That word is, a, is an oxymoron. And so how does everything work in harmony? I shared on the podcast recently, harmony versus balance. You can't balance multiple priorities because then you're just like a juggler and the second you drop one ball, it's done. But in harmony, everything is working toward a common goal. All the sails are set in the same direction. So the armada of the ships of your life are all going to the same destination. How do you prioritize? What's most important? What matters most? What matters least? What's your purpose? Imagine every conversation that you have is the last conversation you'll have with that person. And don't make it a depressing thing, but make it an opportunity for you to ask a question. Is there anything that I'm leaving unsaid? Is there every, anything I'm leaving uh, unreconciled? Is there any bitterness I'm not attending to? Imagine every interaction you have as your last chance to be kind to that person or to share the gospel with them or to reach out to them in a way that maybe you've desired to for a while. Maybe your last opportunity to ask them, can I pray for you? Or to say like, hey, you know, I just want you to know that the Lord loves you. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. But I feel like you need to, to hear that, you know, or, hey, I just want you to know I'm here for you. And, and I think, you know, why don't we talk at lunch more about that, you know, or just reaching out, whatever it is, that could be your last interaction that day with that person. You never know what's going to happen. Because when deathbed becomes a reality, when you or someone you love is on your deathbed, that can, that preparatory awareness of a deathbed spirituality can radically transform what that experience is like. I know so many people who they, they've had someone die, even unexpectedly, but because of the nature of the relationship of their family, because Christ was at the center of their lives, a lot of them have stories like, yeah, but we all made it to the hospital. We were all praying the rosary around their bed. And when we got to this part when we finished, they died. Or right when um, you know mass was over, you know, in our, in our little hospital room or in, um, our home care, um, this person passed away and they always have this sense of like, what better way to go is there? And there's a sense of gratitude, a sense of completeness, a sense of peace, but you can have people in the same set of circumstances, same disease, maybe same sudden death, but because things haven't been reconciled, things haven't been attended to, people haven't been communicated with the love that they share, things have been left unsaid or unaddressed, those deaths can be very, very painful. And it can be very hard to deal with those and to grieve properly and to deal with loss 
when we don't have this mentality that every single moment could be my last. You know, even if I'm having a bad day and I, I say something critical or harsh or sharp or short or I'm being moody and um, I leave the house, who knows what could happen to me when I'm gone? Do I really want my wife or my best friend or my family to have that as their last memory of me? Or vice versa, do I want someone leaving from a conversation, um, from a, you know, a, a, a battle at work or from a, a fight you know, um, in the family, that being the last thing they remember of me? Is that going to make it any easier? No. So when this reality sets in, if, if death is something that you've had to deal with recently, if you've lost someone, if you've if you're grieving right now for a loss of a child to miscarriage or the inability to have one and you feel like there's just a death of that hope in your life or um, you've lost a family member or a friend suddenly um, either due to an accident or suicide or old age or disease or whatever it is, I want to encourage you that part of this die to self spirituality, I think the Holy Spirit needs you to know right now that you need to die to your, your need or your feeling like you have to keep it together. You have full permission to be a mess because guess what? We are a mess. Human nature is a mess. We're sinners. Sin makes us messy. Like God came down to get into the thick of it with us, to get deep in the mud of who we are and to have the messiest death possible to show us how to die. Because when we die like Christ, when we lay down our life, when we're willing to be messy and vulnerable, and trust in the Lord, in God the Father, surrender our lives to him, resurrection always happens. It always happens. That's what the incarnation, one of the reasons for the incarnation, is meant to show us, to help us participate in the divine life, that we are participators in the resurrection. And what a gift that is. And yes, that happens when we die, the resurrection of the body and, you know, and all of that, but it can happen every day in the small crucifixion moments that we're called to bear and die to so that we can rise anew, transform, more grateful, more joyful, more aware of who God is and what he's doing in our lives, more aware of what's important and what's not. And so if you need to cry, cry. If you need to grieve, grieve. Pray. God answers every single prayer. Sometimes his answer is no. And sometimes his answer is different than the one that you expected or hoped for. But it is impossible for God to will anything other than your greatest good. It would be a logical contradiction otherwise for him to will anything else for you because he is love. He is perfect goodness. He cannot and will not ever want anything for you that is other than your greatest good. Other than having your desires completely fulfilled beyond your wildest expectations. It was in one of the readings recently. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard what glorious things the Lord has in store for those who love him. And nor can the human heart fully comprehend is in there too. I'm a great paraphraser. Um, so have that sense of prayer in your life every single day, but especially when it hits the fan, when loss, death, grief becomes a reality. To pray and recognize God will answer this prayer, but I need to die to my desire for him to answer it in the way that I want him to. That to deal with death, we need to die. We need to die to our need to put on a happy face, our need to have it all together, our need to 
um, have it our way to, for it to just be over with, to move on, whatever it is that you desire or want in those moments, we have to be willing to recognize who we are, like in our mortality, like this, I'm an emotional person. I just need to grieve. I need to be vulnerable. And do you, in those moments when bad things happen, do you communicate your need to the people around you? And if you're dealing with someone in your family or among your friends who's lost someone and you're trying to minister to them, don't put that pressure on them for them to communicate their need. Like, yes, we need to be better about communicating what we need. But when this happens, and if you're a real friend, just tell that person, like, look, I'm going to bring you dinner. I'm going to bring you dinner tomorrow. Let, like, can I, can I drop it off? But if you just say, let me know what you need, you're putting all the burden on that person to kind of categorize their emotions logically look at their life at that moment and say, okay, what needs to get done while I'm a, a complete emotional wreck? Like, don't let them even worry about that and just say, Hey, look, I'm going to come over. I'm going to help you do your laundry or I'm going to wash your dishes. I'm going to clean your house. Um, I'm going to go grocery shopping for you. I'm, I'm going to do this or that. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, you, you may not buy all the right things, you know, you, you may not bring the right food. You might bring it at a time when they're not home or not ready. There's ways around all of that, you know, whatever it is just to reach out die to our need to be able to um, be approached constantly and actually go out of ourselves to do something nice for somebody else. Die to your need to put on a happy face. Cry. Cry if you want to cry. Die to your need to figure it out and have an answer. Why was this person taken? You may never know that on this side of heaven. But I'll tell you what every death that I experience reminds me of. That person's purpose was fulfilled in God's eyes, and so he allowed for them to be taken home, either by his active will or his passive will. But that also means that my mission is not yet fulfilled. So I need to recognize what's my purpose still here on earth because I'm still alive, and how do I carry the memory and honor the memory of this person who's died by living out that mission? Because that's, if they're in heaven... And hopefully we all get there. If they make it by the grace of God to heaven, the one thing that they're going to be wanting for me is for me to live out that mission. And the one thing that I can do to dishonor them and that memory is to not do that. And so how do we turn that reality to ourselves and say, hey, what is this, what is this challenging me to do or me to become with the time that I have left? We need to die to our pride. Allow ourselves to be vulnerable, be humble, ask for help. We need to be willing to die to our need to appear mentally healthy and stable at all times and actually be willing to go to therapy or spiritual direction. And we need to grieve. We need to allow ourselves to be in denial so we can then allow ourselves to be angry, so we can then allow ourselves to bargain, so we can then allow ourselves to be depressed, so we can then allow ourselves to accept what has happened and move on, not to a reality that is the same as it was before, but that is different but we can determine what that different looks like. Is it a good different or is it a bad different? Is my life terrible, awful, will never be the same because this person is gone? Or this person lived a full and joyful life and they're where they need to be now, rooting for me. So how do I live a full and joyful life in their honor and their memory? And maybe they didn't live a full and joyful life. Maybe they had a really, really, really hard life. And maybe that's just a, a reality and a struggle. There's a lot of bitterness, unforgiveness, Worry, why would God do this associated with this death? And that just involves a trust in knowing and acceptance 
as best we can in knowing that God does not allow anything to happen that he cannot bring an even greater good out of. That his active will, what he actively like puts in our path is always good. But sin has corrupted us and our world and our human nature and the reality of natural disasters and suffering. And so all of that exists and he allows it to exist because he allowed our free will to choose him or to choose something else. And he respects our free will so much he will never impede that. He will passively allow for that to happen and for the consequences of it to play out. But he will actively intervene with his active will to bring out a greater good. To bring a resurrection out of every one of those crucifixion moments. To bring a mystery out of a mess. Every single time. But we have to allow him. We have to invite him into that reality. And so if you're struggling right now with loss, with death, with grieving, or if someone else is, recognize the challenge to die in response to that. To die to our need to be perfect. To die to our pride. To die to our refusal to ask for help. To die to our worry about doing or saying the wrong thing or not helping in the right way and just supporting that person who's struggling. And in our everyday life, for those of us who aren't struggling with something like that in this moment, how can we live a life where we die to ourselves daily, where we live life on our spiritual deathbed and build relationships and communicate in such a way that when death comes, we say, oh, happy death. Oh, happy death. I cannot wait to meet the Lord. There is no bitterness, no anger, no unforgiveness that is causing me to be grieved in leaving this life because I have done what God has called me to do. I have loved well, and I haven't loved perfectly because I'm a sinner, but I recognize my need for a savior and I get to meet him in this moment. And if we do that well, and if it seeps out of who we are and how we treat other people, how we communicate our love and our desire for them to know God, our death will be a celebration of life. You know, the sacraments, marriage in particular, it's actually about death. Funerals are about life. I remember Matt Marr, the Catholic musician, saying that in a talk once. And he said, you know, at funerals, we always talk about celebrate life. But I think at marriages, we need to celebrate death. And people started laughing because they thought he was making a joke about like, oh, great, here's your death, marriage. You know, one of those jokes. But then he went into this beautiful explanation of what it's like to lay down your life for another person. And I think when he gave it, he had just recently been married or he was in marriage preparation uh, with his wife. To recognize that reality, not only in the sacraments, but as we approach everyone and everything every single day. This could be the last opportunity, the last words, the last moment, the last date, the last kiss, the last day at the office, the last coffee with that friend. What do we want them to know? What do we want reconciled? How do we want them to know they are loved? How do we want to express the love of God? If that was the last. And so, for intercession, for an opportunity to have this mentality, the spirituality in your life, I encourage you to ask for the intercession of St. Joseph. We talked about St. Joseph's life on episode 11. You can listen to the saintly ending of that episode when we talked about complaining. 
Um, but he's the patron saint of a happy death, and I thought it was fitting for him to be mentioned twice, especially on this topic, um, because how could he not have been happy in death with Jesus and Mary at his side, um, ushering him, you know, into the heavenly host, um, you know, or, you know, theologically speaking to Gehenna. And then Jesus came down and was like, Hey, what's up? Let's go to heaven, you know, but whatever. Um, but what I love about Joseph is that he has no recorded words in scripture, which is why we talked about him in the complaining episode, but also why I want to talk to him, talk about him, uh, briefly right now, uh, and ask for his intercession for all of us to have this deathbed spirituality when we approach life, because someone to have had no recorded words in scripture and having been given such an important role in the life of Christ and the, the in salvation history, I mean, talk about someone who had no concern to live for themselves. That he was willing to divorce Mary quietly and maybe even bring public shame upon himself to avoid public shame upon her. And then when the angel appeared to him and revealed to him God's plan, he faithfully said yes. He lived in a virginal marriage, sacrificed that desire, biological desire for the greater glory of God and for his family and for the purification of Mary and her perpetual virginity to allow himself to be the foster father of a child that was not biologically his own, to teach him his trade, to raise him and to be so connected and in tune with God, the father, that God, the father would trust him enough to do that and to have done so with no recorded words but maybe because he lived a life like this. He recognized his purpose and he lived purposefully in all that he did. And so we pray with the intercession of St. Joseph on this All Saints Day um, after Halloween and on the eve of all souls. We ask, Lord, that you give every single one of us listening um, to this podcast right now the ability to live each day with a deathbed mentality, not to live life morbidly or negatively or with a fatalistic viewpoint, but to live life with every opportunity taken to love, to reconcile, to forgive, to share the gospel, and to live joyfully in all that we do. I pray that this episode has blessed you. If you like it, you want to share it with anybody, please do so. Please rate and review this podcast on whatever avenue you listen to it on. It helps other people find it. Um, share an episode of the entire podcast with your friends, with your family, with your work group. Um, and it's so awesome to hear about people who are listening um, or who found the podcast. Shout out to Brian Solano at my parish. Shout out to um, Aunt Diane um, and all the different people um, who who have just constantly reaching out or who I find out listen to this and enjoy it. It's just, it blows me away. And I'm so appreciative of your support. Um, so please continue to pray for us to share this podcast. That's the best way you can support us. If you do want to support us financially, you can do that for as little as $1 a month. Go to our website, manafoodforthought.com, click on the Patreon tab, and you can become a patron and you'll get access to bonus content, uh, merchandise. We have a new logo and it is epically sweet. And so I can't wait to share it with you. The patrons will see it first and then we'll start printing it on some merchandise. They'll get free merchandise. Um, and then we'll have some new tiers that we'll add when people become patrons, they'll get some merch and then that'll be available for purchase at some point on our website. Uh, so be patient with us. Um, I'm going to be the one man band for a little while here as, um, Jenna is, um, fulfilling her vocation as mother and having a second child and attending to her family in that regard. So please pray for her, pray for us, this podcast, that it continues to serve uh, all who God wants it to. 
and know that we're praying for you. Uh, let us know your feedback. We love hearing from you, your suggestions for upcoming episodes, your questions. Uh, we'd love to do a Q&A episode or an open mailbag episode. So please just let us know if this podcast has touched your life in any way. Uh, send us an email, a message on our website or at manafoodforthought at gmail.com. Uh, and ask us your questions that we could answer live on the air. Uh, we would love to do that um, to just honor all of you and your support uh, and all that you've done in these 55 episodes thus far. Two years um, as of Wednesday of next week that we will have been doing, no, Monday, that we will have been doing this podcast. Uh, two years. And it's just been a whirlwind and such a blessing. So thank you for all your support. And we're going to continue being here faithfully as long as God calls us to. So know that we're praying for you. And until we see you next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. God bless. Mm-hmm.